Hey folks, this is Andy. I was pretty sick this week, so we weren't able to record this episode in the studio and we had to do it remotely over what turned out to be a pretty dodgy internet connection. So the audio quality is not the best, but thanks for sticking with it. And next time we're going to be back to our usual high standards. Welcome to another episode of America Explained, the podcast that brings the important voices and perspectives shaping American politics, foreign policy and culture to an international audience. Hey everyone, welcome to America Explained. I'm your host Andy Gawthorpe and today Catherine is joining us as co-host. Hey Catherine. Hi Andy, how's it going? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, thanks for having me. It's exciting to be on talking about some of the crazy stuff happening in US politics right now. Well, yeah, and there has been quite a lot of crazy stuff, even though it's only the what is it, the 24th of January. Um, today, we're going to round up some of the political stories that have already been developing this year, uh, particularly the chaos in the new Republican-controlled House of Representatives, and also this this thing that I don't think anyone really saw coming, this classified document scandal, which is currently dogging President Biden. Um, so as always, everyone, thanks for listening to America Explained. And if you enjoy it, please tell a friend or consider leaving us a five-star review on your podcast platform. That just tells the algorithmic overlords that rule our lives that this is a good podcast and people should consider uh, listening to it. So thanks. Yeah, so I mean, this this is really kind of transitioning to the the second phase of Biden's presidency, where there's just really no hope of him getting significant policy through Congress. Often what happens in this case is that presidents turn to foreign affairs, they try and make their mark there because that's where they have more power. They try to um, use executive orders to, to try to... Um, change policy. So these are kind of things that presidents can do on their own, but that's often very difficult and, and controversial. So, you know, Biden's now, he's, he's he's in kind of this liminal space, you know, between now and the next election. He doesn't really have too many more levers to pull now to, to affect policy. And then also now he's getting affected by this document scandal. This isn't yet a really big deal. Probably it's not going to become a really, really big deal, but it is a significant deal. And I mean, it's something that they've, they've in my opinion, really made some mistakes here to allow this to get to this point. And our listeners probably remember, and I think I, I did like a whole episode on this last year, that Trump was found um, after he left office to be keeping classified information in his home at Mar-a-Lago. And he'd been asked repeatedly to give this stuff back because, you know, when you're um, when you're no longer president, actually a lot of people don't know that when you're no longer president, you still have the right to read classified material. Usually you keep your clearance because some, sometimes the subsequent president might want to ask your advice on something and they might want to show you like classified information. So, okay, you have the ability to see classified information information. What you don't have the right to do is just to take classified documents from the government and then keep them in your own home. Trump did this seemingly purposefully, you know, seemingly, you know, knowing it was in violation of the law. And he's probably going to get in, in a lot of trouble for it. There was a special counsel who was appointed who was investigating it. Now, it, this in a way was like all to the good for the Democrats. It was like, okay, more um, more headlines about how Donald Trump is this kind of irresponsible maniac. And then it turns out, actually, that last November, some classified documents were found in a think tank um, that Biden is connected to. And then subsequently in his home, including in his garage in Wilmington, Delaware, where, where he lives. And now this isn't, it's not comparable to what Trump did, at least as far as we know so far, because it's just often the case that people leave office and they accidentally take classified material with them. Biden seems to have co cooperated with the Justice Department as soon as he knew it was there. But they've kind of, I don't think they've 
they've handled the the PR of this very well. They've not handled the messaging very well. And it's built up more steam than it needed to, maybe. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, like you said, this happened originally in November, but we didn't hear anything about it until January. So I think the Biden administration was trying to kind of keep things quiet and hope that it would blow over. But what's also interesting is these documents that were found from Biden were from when he was vice president as well. So these were from, you know, they've been sitting in his garage for (laughs) four years at least. But this law that documents have to be handed over to the National Archives applies to both presidents and vice presidents as well. And it goes back to Nixon and Watergate. Now presidents have to turn over any documents related to their presidency and then especially classified documents. Yeah. So like you said, it's not uncommon for kind of mistakes to be made and whatnot. And, you know, maybe you could also talk about how the U.S. kind of overclassifies a lot of documents as well, but that's kind of a separate issue. But I think, yeah, this has just not been handled very well initially by the Biden administration, but now they're really trying to, you know, minimize it and contrast how he's reacted with how Trump reacted to um, a similar situation. So, Whereas Trump was getting quite defensive and, you know, antagonistic about it and even accusing the National Archives of kind of setting him up in a way. Biden is trying to say that, you know, he's cooperating. He's invited them to come to his house and check everything out. So I think, yeah, he's trying to prevent this from being politically um, a problem for him and for the Democrats as well. Yeah, I think one of the things that probably happened here is that whenever something like this happens and you're the president, you get advice from like two sets of people. On the one hand, there's the lawyers and they want you to do whatever is legally best for you to try and kind of make the legal process go most smoothly. And then you have the political and the public relations people and they're looking at this from a different point of view and they want you to do whatever is best for you politically. And I think in this case, what happened is that the lawyer said to Biden, if you announce that this happened and go on kind of this big kind of counteroffensive and you know try and defend yourself publicly and you talk about how you did nothing wrong that's possibly going to piss off the justice department because they want this process to unfold quietly and methodically and we're going to see what's happening and they don't want you already trying to create in the mind of the public and kind of create political pressure on the Justice Department to minimize this. But then the political people obviously would not have chosen to handle it this way because it's just crazy the way it's been handled that basically every single week as the Justice Department's search of Biden's properties kind of continues, we get a new announcement about new classified documents, right? And it just makes it look like Biden really had something to hide and that he was kind of slow rolling this process. I think what he hoped was that basically if we cooperate as much as possible with justice, they will just kind of They'll print, they'll get the documents, then that'll be the end of it. And then we can make an announcement saying, well, you know, we found the documents, we handed them back. There's nothing to see here. That's not what's happened. Now a special counsel has been appointed to, to actually oversee this investigation. Um, a guy called Robert Hur. He's a Trump-appointed and um, federal prosecutor. I don't really know anything about him. I don't, you know, he wasn't really in the public eye, I think, before this this happened. I assume that he's not some kind of like rabid conservative fire breather, because then, like, you know, why would Merrick Gar- Garland appoint him to oversee this process? If he is a kind of straight-shooting Republican, then maybe this is going to go away over the course of the next year 
year. Maybe it'll be long forgotten by um, the election in 2024. I guess that, you know, it's pretty likely it's going to be forgotten by then. But the Republicans are probably going to try and make a big deal of this um, using their powers in the House, right? And and they, they also have some other investigations of Biden coming up this year as well, right? Yeah, exactly. So I think that, you know, it might not be as easy for them to kind of create more investigations about this, but they have just been, you know, trying to tie this to the whole Hunter Biden situation by saying, how can we know that these documents were safe if maybe Hunter Biden had access to them since they were in Biden's house? Um, But obviously that's not, I think, the way that things actually were. It was just, you know, these boxes that have probably just been sitting untouched for several years, but it doesn't look great, especially when they're, you know, trying to investigate this whole Hunter Biden situation. And we've also seen some calls from some more extreme Republicans to kind of investigate the other side of the story, as they consider it, of January 6th. But some people like Marjorie Taylor Greene have expressed interest in that. So if things continue with her and McCarthy and their little alliance, then Biden might have to be dealing with a lot more investigations during the year, which will also be how Congress is spending a lot of their time if they can't pass any legislation. Yeah, and I think because Republicans are going to find it pretty much impossible to pass any legislation, they're absolutely going to focus their time just on these investigations, or at least a, a, a subset of them are anyway. You know, people like Marjorie Taylor Greene didn't come into Congress to um, get legislation passed. You know, they have no interest in that. They're all about the Jewish space lasers and Hunter Biden. And, and you know, as you say, the other side of January 6th, it's it's a really crazy idea. But basically, you know, they think that they, they try and put forward the point of view that the, the January 6th rioters were basically peaceful protesters who are now the victims of a totalitarian police state, you know, which is punishing them basically for, for patriotic duties. And like so much of this is just so crazy. And I've actually kind of come around to thinking that this is it's obviously it could be bad for Biden, maybe it could be bad for the Democrats, maybe, but most likely it's just gonna backfire. If they actually like uncover were to uncover something real, then oh, I mean you can look at something like Benghazi, you know, which was this kind of investigation into how Hillary Clinton handled a, a terrorist attack in, in Libya in which in which Americans died. And, and and it was like, okay, you know, this probably wasn't Hillary Clinton's fault, but like something bad did happen here. And you know, you can kind of tenuously make that connection. But I mean, with this stuff, uh, what are they hoping to accomplish? You know, I mean, there's just there is no there there. And I think that's going to become pretty apparent to Americans. And, you know, if you look at how badly Republicans did in, in the last midterms, because they were so associated with this particular brand of extremism, I actually kind of see this as a losing proposition for them over the next couple of years. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, like you said, from the midterms, things didn't go well, even though they did flip the House. But if things continue like this, I think that most Americans are not going to want to vote for a party that is just focused on all of these things, even if it is sensational and it gets on Tucker Carlson and um, like Infowars and whatnot. It's just not doing anything practical for American people. And I think that that will backfire. And that's, I'm sure, what Democrats are hoping for as well in the next election. You also see the return of this almost like pre-Trump fiscal conservatism in the Republican Party as well. Now, I think one of the most interesting things in the last week or so is that Donald Trump put out a statement or he gave a speech or something. I don't know. I don't, I don't follow his life that closely anymore because, you know, I just hope he's, he's, he's gradually fading into irrelevance. But he put out this statement somehow anyway, saying um, that Republicans should not cut Social Security or Medicare as they um, pursue these these negotiations over the debt ceiling. And I think like people often forget that Donald Trump, in a way, he moved the Republican Party to the left on some economic issues. You know, the, the Trump years were not 
really marked by any attempts to um, cut social security, you know, which before Trump was a huge plank of, of the Republican Party platform in, in many, many different elections. You know, it was it was one of the, you know, even, even at some point, Barack Obama was talking about reforming social security because just like the, the political center on this issue was much further to, to the right than it is today. But I think that if, if you combine this very unpopular economic policy, which Trump's success was to some extent predicated on moving beyond, you combine that with Trump's extremist kind of aesthetics, then you just have this complete like electoral kryptonite, in my opinion. You know, I really, really don't think that that this is a good a, a good track for the Republican Party to be on. You know, and I think Democrats can 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 feel pretty good about that. You know, if Joe Biden can can stay alive and can stay out of scandal over over the next couple of years, so probably you know we're we're looking at you know it's like an off year. There's no election. It's going to be kind of like just this dirty kind of like difficult year for for both sides, I guess. Um, Maybe by the end of the year, not a great deal is going to have changed. Yeah, I think you're right. And yeah, it's just kind of, you know, the first year of almost a kind of lame duck presidency for Biden, but we'll see what he's able to do on, you know, foreign policy and other arenas uh, if he can move past this, you know, current situation with these documents. You're listening to America Explained, a podcast about the United States for an international audience. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, tell a friend, and leave a positive review on your podcast platform. So, Kevin McCarthy needed to go through 15 votes in order to become Speaker. And in order to finally make that happen, he made all kind of like unsavory promises to unsavory characters along the way. So Catherine, can you tell us a little bit about how this is going to unfold over the course of the rest of the year? And what are some of the problems we see arising in the House this year? Yeah, so I think one thing that we're seeing is that there's just not a lot of unity amongst Republicans in the House. And, you know, there's already kind of cracks forming between the, I guess, less extreme, uh, more traditional Republicans uh, and then the Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates, Lauren Boebert faction. And I think, you know, they might not be able to agree on a lot of bills. And with such a narrow majority, this could be problematic for the Republicans looking to pass, you know, the kind of legislation that they want to. And we've also seen um, McCarthy moving further to the right in some regards. He's already always been quite on the right, but he's been aligning himself a bit more with Marjorie Taylor Greene. And, you know, she used to be kind of ostracized from the Republican Party and serving on, you know, she wasn't serving on many prominent committees or anything because she's had some really crazy out there statements on a lot of issues, like the Jewish space lasers and that kind of thing. Uh, But now it's looking like she's going to serve both on the Homeland Security and the Oversight Committees, which are really, really prominent appointments. Um, So I think you know, that's showing that McCarthy is willing to kind of reach out to this faction of the uh, Republican Party because he kind of needs to in order to get things done. Yeah, and I think like it, it, it now that she's suddenly kind of made this transition to like semi-respectability or, you know, in the eyes of, of at least um, the, the dominant sort of Republican faction in the House, it's easy to forget just how crazy this woman is. I mean, so you mentioned the Jewish space lasers thing. So that's like where she said the forest fires in California were started by a giant space laser that was owned by the Rothschild family. It's also like she endorsed QAnon. 
she endorsed Pizzagate, which is this idea that there's a cabal of pedophiles who run the Democratic Party. She claimed that like the Parkland school shooting was a false flag that was done by the gun control lobby. So, I mean, she's just completely out there, right? And I mean, the fact that she's going to be on, as you said, the Oversight Committee and the Homeland Security Committee, like Homeland Security at least should be, you know, it's, it's a very serious committee. The Oversight Committee is often where cranks go, but it does a lot of serious stuff. And and they're going to launch a lot of investigations of, of Biden this year, right, as well. Someone who maybe is less crazy in some ways than her, but still a bit just completely insane that he's in Congress right now is George Santos, who's right. also going to be on two committees, not quite as prominent, looking like he'll be on the small business and the science, space and technology committees, which, you know, given that he's lied about his experience working in finance and things like that, is just also kind of wild, um, especially because McCarthy previously said that Santos wouldn't be able to serve on any committees. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, what you see to me is that Kevin McCarthy realizes that he needs literally every single vote he can possibly get to get his way. So, you know, in that in that respect, nobody can be persona non grata for Kevin McCarthy. If he can turn anyone into an ally, then he's going to try and do that. So, I mean, George Santos, who you know, I, I think our listeners probably have heard about this because it's just kind of funny. Like, it's not, in a way, it's not like a very important story, but it's a very funny story. But, you know, George Santos is this guy who's just got elected congressman in New York, and he basically lied about everything in his career. Kevin McCarthy looks at him and says, here's another vote, here's another ally that I can I can get, and then, you know, I can try and get my way. And Kevin McCarthy kind of, he needs all the votes that he can get right, because there's a few, I mean, you mentioned that it's going to be really hard for Republicans to, to legislate, uh, you know, this year. And of course, I mean, I mean, like there's a Democratic Senate and a Democrat in the White House. So it's not like Republicans are going to pass any of their own favored legislation. But there's a few things that they have to get done this year. I know one of which is is government funding and the other of which is the debt ceiling. Mm -hmm. And so these are like must pass votes for the American and even the world economy. The, The debt ceiling is kind of a weird thing. I'm not aware of any other country that does things this way. But basically in the US, you, you Congress both authorizes spending but then it also has to authorize the government to take on debt in order to carry out that spending. And they're like different things. So what we see is that whenever there's not a Republican president, Republicans always create a lot of um, drama around raising the debt ceiling. They did it three times under Donald Trump without ever saying a, you know, a single word about it. But as soon as there's a Democrat in um, in office, Republicans kind of find religion on, um, on fiscal responsibility. And then they say, okay, we're not going to raise it. And if we do raise it, then we're going to demand that we have enormous um, funding, like spending cuts in order to do that. So already Republicans are talking about cutting Social Security. They're talking about cutting Medicare. You know, they're talking about cutting like really, really important programs just basically to to give America the privilege of paying the debt on the spending that Congress has, has already authorized. And it's like a it's a really crazy situation. And there's just enough people who take a really far right position on this issue. Um, in 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 the House, and then there's a situation where the Republican leadership is just basically not in control of these people at all, you know, and it's not really able to to provide any discipline, and it does start to look like a, a little bit like they might not be able to 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 raise the debt ceiling. Do you, do you think that like there's, I mean, what what's the what's the way out of this? I mean, do you think that 
in the end, we might see Democrats come together with more moderate Republicans in order to do it. Or, I mean, because that kind of seems, you know, it's not an act of bipartisanship that we would really expect it after the experience of the last five years. But it does seem like probably the most plausible way out of this. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. And I think even Joe Manchin has said that he's willing to compromise a little bit with some Republicans on maybe having some spending cuts to certain things. So I think, you know, while Democrats might want to remain unified and, you know, not have any spending cuts whatsoever, uh, there's a chance that they'll have to in order to raise the debt ceiling. But yeah, it is. It's really interesting what you mentioned, because it's also, like you said, this is the debt ceiling for things that have already been, you know, approved by the government to spend on. It's not about future spending. It, it is interesting, though, you know, like you said, it, it, the White House has basically said that they are not going to negotiate on the debt ceiling. They just said, OK, you know, either you raise it or, um, you know, we're going to default and we're not, you know, we're not going to kind of dignify this with a negotiation. I think what's interesting about that is that, you know, the White House can say that, but then Democrats in Congress can have their own message and like you said, Joe Manchin has already said, okay, maybe we can negotiate about this, but I am not going to accept cuts to big entitlement programs, things things like social security. But you could easily, I think, yes, yeah, see a situation where there is a discussion with, with within Congress. But I think there is going to have to be some discussion here because, I mean, you know, everybody just, just kind of realizes that if the US defaults on its debt, then that is just going to be a catastrophic moment for, for the world economy because the world economy depends on the um, US bonds, US treasuries to be paid on time in, in order to function. So the the other, other big thing that's coming down the line this year is also government funding. The previous kind of really, really big um, one of these was in 2011, late 2011, when we ended up with this thing that was called sequestration, where basically the only way that um, Republicans would agree to fund the government was that if then you would have these mandatory funding cuts across all departments in the government, like including defense, you know, everything. Uh, I remember this because at the time I was trying to do research in the National Archives in DC and they were suddenly closed because um, because Republicans had shut down the government, which like really annoyed me. And I think we could, we could see something... Uh, like this happen again this year because I mean government funding in a way it's a bit less of a black and white issue than the debt ceiling because this is new new spending you can legitimately I guess have a policy debate on which people have like different good faith opinions on what should the level of government spending be and then we could go into into this this big period of government shutdown and and it's always unclear in those situations who's going to take the blame politically for that yeah exactly and I think government shutdowns also people might think that you know it's not affecting them personally but i remember in 2011 as well it really had a huge impact on you know anyone whether it's someone who works at a university or or at public universities who are doing research and just can't literally can't continue their research because it's um funded through the government and and also yeah things like applying for non-emergency services through the state department or things like that it's really really bad so i think that with this congress it's kind of a similar situation to in 2011 with a democratic a democrat in the white house but a republican house so i think there's potential for that and you know it won't be good for anyone but one side or the other will be able to capitalize on it politically potentially if that happens yeah so that's those are our predict well i, I making concrete predictions is always difficult because then you can be wrong but you know yeah. let's say that's the, the that's a prediction for, for 2023 you know i think it's gonna be a difficult year for both sides no one's really gonna feel like they're accomplishing that much we're gonna have 
our attention is going to be taken up by all kinds of scandals and flashes in the pan that seem very important at the time, but but prove completely ephemeral probably in, in the long run looking to 2024. But we just really got to hope that, that those important bills, the debt ceiling, government funding do get passed because those are the those are the points this year where something could really, really go wrong. Um, you know, and, and Republicans need to get this kind of clown car that they've got in order and, and actually drive it in the right direction just for long enough to pass those those couple of pieces of legislation. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of America Explained. Um, we're going to be back in a couple of weeks with an episode we've been working on for quite some time. Catherine especially actually has been working on it really hard about urban planning and America's transportation infrastructure and the way that these things have been intertwined with race and capitalism over the previous century. So please tune in for that. Thanks for tuning into this one. And we look forward to joining you again for that. Thanks for listening to America Explained, which is brought to you by host Andy Gawthor and researcher, editorial assistant, and sometimes co-host Catherine Wood. If you like America Explained, please consider checking out our free newsletter, which you can find a link to in the show notes. That's all for this episode. And I look forward to speaking to you next time.